Hey, you like cookies? What about some cupcakes? Of course you do, because you're a regular person and not some treat-hating weirdo demon from a parallel universe. So do yourself a favor and check out Tailored and Crafted. They're a new Chicago-based online bakery that brings you an amazing rotating menu of mouth-watering treats. Here's how it works. Every couple of weeks, they offer boxes of a variety of homemade cookies, cupcakes, and more. You email them at hello at tailoredandcrafted.com and drool on your keyboard as you place your order. Then, you cruise up to Rogers Park on the designated day for a convenient pickup. Bing, bang, boom, you're eating cookies, just like that. Right now, their box consists of four molasses cookies, four egg-free chocolate chip cookies, three five-spice palmiers, I don't even know what that means and it sounds delicious, three lemon-thyme shortbread cookies, and one apple pie rice crispy treat, all for only $25. Come on, how do you beat that? You can't, that's how. So be sure to follow them on Instagram and Facebook at at Tailored and Crafted, or check out their website at tailoredandcrafted.com so you can get your weekly updates about future boxes and their upcoming holiday specials. Tailored and Crafted, sweetening your day. Hi, I'm Bill Larkin. And who the fuck are you? Settle in as we begin to tell you about some friends. Folks you know in Chicago and some you've never met. We'll talk about the things they say and do. There's a question posed to old and new. Who the fuck are you? Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. This is Kevin Alvis, and you are joining us for another episode of Who the Fuck Are You? Where we sit down with Chicago's elite to find out more about who the fuck they are. If you're anything like me, the past couple weeks have been not the smoothest, but like I've always said, you can always get through some rough spots with your friends. It just so happens that all my friends are rum. (sighs) Thank you, friends. Speaking of friends, this week on the show, I am chatting with an old friend of mine who I haven't seen in a while. Uh, I think he's incredibly talented and hilariously funny. Please say hello to my dear friend, Mr. Bill Larkin. Hey, Bill. Hey, baby. How's it going? Doing all right. How are you holding up? Oh, you know, the same old shit. You know, <laughs> COVID, crazy president on the way out. You know, the huge, the huge, just working, things like that. How are you uh, holding up during all of this pandemic craziness of the world? This is, it, now that it's month nine, <laughs> maybe it's, the uh, cold temperature, maybe it's, it, it feels a little more uh, freakish now, a little more um, isolated, a little more, you know, like, well, can't just go out and take a walk. Uh, well, you can. But right. I'm, you got to have balls of steel cold, like it's a certain temp. Yeah. So I actually discovered, uh, I get Pluto TV and I just discovered that there's a 24 hour network that shows nothing but family ties all day. Oh, then I guess there goes your winter. That's just it. I was thinking that and a falafel <laughs> place just opened down a block the street. You know, and I'm like, I think I'm going to, I think I can get through it. I think you're going to be okay. I think it'll be all right. <laughs> I think we can, I think we can zoom through this winter and that, I mean that literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. I think this is something that for a lot of people might be okay. I'm, I'm, I personally am looking forward to not having to stand at the bus stop 
in a blizzard to have right. to be somewhere. You know, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to not having to trudge through slop just to go run, you know, to go to work or what have not. So I'm trying to keep those thoughts in my, <laughs> my head to stay positive. And that's a good way to think about it. Cause it's, it's like, like if, if this were normal, like winter, it'd be like, well, we'd want to stay in anyway. Right. Temperature reasons. So, okay. Try to think of it that way. Um, and yeah, like, I think I was telling you, like last time I saw you, like this is, I'm a bit of a loner anyhow, except when mm -hmm. I'm on stage. So it's like the the homework to stay in. That was the easy part, or has been the easy part for the most for the most part. You know, I've, I find as much as um, I feel, and I think a lot of people feel that performers love to be around people. They love to be in crowds, and they love to be like out and about. That I find there a lot of my friends who are performers are like, I like to stay at home, and I don't want to mm -hmm. be around anyone because if I'm not on stage, people drive me insane. Yeah, yeah, which I get too. I mean, I, I I like to go out, but I also really enjoy my alone time, which is nice. Yeah. Um, it's been tough, but simply because there's been no social time, because some social time is needed. But what are you gonna do? Well, I'm glad you are surviving through all this stuff. Uh, um, yeah. and thank you for joining me, man. It's so good to see your face. I haven't seen you in forever, except for that one brief pass by yeah. during the pandemic we that we happened to run into you while we were out for uh, picking up a, a car from a friend. But it is so good to see your face. We haven't got to hang out in a long time. So, um, and also I have, you know, we just never had a chance to sit down. So thank you for sitting down with me tonight. I really appreciate it. Um, Absolutely. I remember seeing you for the first time probably i want to say maybe about six years ago or so but i'm terrible with time uh you right. were performing at the paper machete at the green mill right we had some friends come into town from central new york that we've known for years and we yeah. of course anybody we come into town like if they're like what do we do it's like let's go see uh, the, the paper machete at the green mill. It's an amazing show. Uh, and it's free and it's at a, a historic bar. Like you're, you're knocking everything out. You're watching a great show. You're not spending a lot of money and you're in a historic part of Chicago. You know, it's like you're covering right. bases. So we, we brought them there and you were performing that day. Uh, and I, I think you performed your mother's song. And I want to say maybe that was one of the first times you might've played 45 and my friend and I just <laughs> sat and laughed into tears. I think you did like three or four songs and we were just in tears and in jaws dropping at how funny you were. Like I enjoy musical comedians and I think yeah. you're, one of, you're one of my favorites I've ever seen because you're just fucking hilarious. Um, when you were growing up, like what, were you, were you into music before you found your acting comedy ways? Were you always the funny kid that then found out I would like to play the piano as well? Like, where did where did you draw everything from at an early age? Like, were you the class clown? You seem like you were kind of like the class clown and funny around the house kind of guy. A little bit. I I have uh, I remember because I have a twin brother, as you know. And when I was oh wait no I'm sorry hold on you 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 have a twin brother you didn't know that. No, I thought you have, you sing a song about a twin brother. And I thought yes. that was just a song. You thought it was made up. Like now a lot of, a lot of the songs about family members, some of it is made up, but, but no, that actually is a fact. I do have a friend who lives in Chicago now, by the Are way. Are you shitting me? Okay. Are y'all yeah. identical twins? We're paternal. So we don't, he's like a big bear of a guy okay. and, I, and I'm not, I look like the before picture now. Which is kind of, <laughs> um, but no, so we didn't we never, learn something, new. Brothers, but not twins. Okay. All right. That's yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. And, uh, 
my mom, I guess, pointed to the two of us and said, you're going to play piano. I'm like, all right. And when she pointed to my brother, he said, you're going to take tap dancing lessons. And as a kid, I kind of poked fun at him, I believe, if I recall correctly. <laughs> yeah, you have to dance. <laughs> and now I would, of course, kill to know how to tap dance. Right. <laughs> uh, but when I took piano lessons, I was eight years old and I didn't I didn't care for it at the time. I never practiced. I would practice and I was one of those kids who practiced a half hour before he went to see his his teacher, try to fool them, think I'd actually gone through my scales and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I never did. Of course. Um, and uh, but at the around the same time, I, I actually I would bring pop music, sheet music into uh, my lessons and oh, yeah. be like, OK, you can learn your precious Duran Duran once you get down to Schubert. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Fair. Great trade off. Uh, great trade off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but around the same time, I, I'm trying to think when I first heard comp- probably the Dr. Demento show, because I listen, my brother and I listened to that a lot. Mm hmm discovered around 1980 1981 which is around the time i think weird al had already been submitting his songs to uh to dr demento and we listened religiously every sunday um that may have been my first exposure to comedy music although we had a tom lehrer album in the house Mm -hmm. and so i heard the I could hear an audience laughing at a performer at a piano singing made up song. I didn't understand any of the references because right. they were political references from the sixties. Yeah. But I, Oh, you didn't at, get all yeah, that. At that, that yeah, okay. Oh, this is a thing you can do this. And uh, um, it's funny that Dr. Demento, cause they, that you bring that up in that as being an influence. Cause that, I, I, that show opened up so so many performers to a whole different sector of the world, like gave, yes. gave the opportunities for a lot of people who wouldn't have the opportunities to present that kind of comedy and stuff, yes. which was amazing. I'm, I, I, my ex-girlfriend and I were big fans of that. She would always make me copies of the semi tapes of Dr. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Um, I can definitely see a lot of that influence in your work. <laughs> That's for sure from what I've seen. So, um, with, so mm-hmm. if you weren't the guy to rehearse, like if you didn't really give a shit, like you were popping through a little bit, what drove you to keep playing through like was it the comedy once you started bringing able to bring the comedy element into the music or because i would do i didn't really start writing my own songs until my mid-20s i uh i do i would do musical theater in high school in college and then i worked at a comedy theater in orlando florida i moved to orlando with my friend okay my best friend, he was like, you want to work at Disney World for the summer? I'm like, yeah. Who doesn't? Pluto. Pluto was my first performing job. Really? Yes. Oh, awesome. So yeah. you actually got a job at Disney. <laughs> That's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Underpaid, overworked. It's like they six bucks an hour to dance around in very hot outfits uh, in 90 degree temperature. Oh, yes. Um, but they had there was a comedy theater in Orlando. Uh, the theater's still there called Sack Theater, S A K, and they were the theater sports branch of in Orlando. Okay. Um, and there was a comedy sports branch out there too, and I got involved with them. And it, I think it was at theater sports that they started to do variety shows, and I started to write comedy songs. I don't know what the impetus was or just what, but I think my first was the Grandpa song where I just. Why does my grandpa go? And then I just make this curdling sound. 
<laughs> and basically that was the song. <laughs> I would just make that sound for three minutes. And the, and when I heard the audience reaction, I'm like, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> so, uh, did you did you move to Chicago from there? Where where did you uh, spread your legs out in New York? Like where I I was in Orlando for five years from 1991 to 96, uh, and then the troupe a, a troupe of us from Sac Theater. A caravan of cars. We all moved from Orlando. We all drove from Orlando, oh, wow. Florida to Los Angeles, California. Oh, God, that's a journey. Yes, it is. And, <laughs> and I won't forget it because the day we arrived in Los Angeles, it rained harder than it's ever rained in Southern California. Oh, and no. Don't let this be an omen. Uh, <laughs> in our group uh, was Wayne Brady. He got his start. We, we uh, performed together at SAC Theater. Oh, okay. I and mean, you had mentioned after, something like that. I didn't realize it was through this kind of process. Okay. Yeah, he got Whose Line Is It shortly after. And I would play... Uh, and he graciously hired me to play for a couple of uh, corporate events with him. So I was his keyboard player for a few gigs. Oh, nice. Um, and so the troupe would perform, uh, but I kind of went off and did some stuff on my own too. I worked, I, that's when I started working at the dueling piano bars because they had them. Uh, they opened a howl at the moon in Hollywood. There was actually one in Westwood called duet. Okay. Um, and because I listened to a lot of, I listened to a lot of Casey Kasem as a kid, just listening to the top 40 music, which is why I wanted to bring that into the piano lessons. Like, oh, I want to learn this, you know. But I was halfway set doing a dueling piano gig because I'm like, well, I know the 70s and 80s stuff already by ear, because I mostly mm -hmm. play by ear now. Um, if somebody gives me sheet music, I just, uh, my parents would be very disappointed with this. But if it's in front of me, I have to like sound every note out now. Oh, um, so you're strictly all by ear. Yeah. Oh, and for what right. I do, it's fine. Like I don't need, uh, but yeah, I don't work like parties where somebody gives me something or accompany anybody or anything like that. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, after uh, I moved to Chicago in 2002, uh, this was shortly after I made the family album and they, cause they, they opened a howl at the moon here in Chicago and I just, you know, whenever you they open one of the new clubs, they have other players come in to help with the grand opening. And I just fell in love with Chicago. Oh, nice. Said, I want to be here. And now it's been 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> 18 years later, still crashing. Um, you <laughs> are pretty proficient with, with what I would call, I guess, improv playing. Just being able to, because we worked together uh, with Cassandra, the uh, yes. uh, the uh, Livelet Sketch Group, which was so much fun. Yes. And the couple times we were able to work together, you provided all of this mood theme music that just popped off the top, like this. You know, like you never, you hadn't had a chance to read the scripts. You didn't know what we were doing. You were just playing along with what was happening, right. which I find to be an amazing talent. Improv already, you know, some people have it, some people don't, um, but when it comes to adding in the element of the music, was that something that you were like, I want to, I, I need to really learn how to do this. Or was this something all of a sudden you just caught yourself one day like, Oh shit, I can, I can do that. I mean, yeah, I think we'll just do something like this. Or was that a, was that a, how hard was it to flex that muscle and work that one out? I think I was a little lucky. Cause I, when I started doing improv at SAC theater, I first watched shows for like a good amount of time, maybe the first six months or so. So, so I would watch the piano players and what they did and how they would back the players up and how they would, you know, provide mood for certain scenes or back them up musically and how 
They would begin songs with improvisers, end songs with them. And so I had a little bit of an idea going in, but like with anything else, you know, once I sat behind the... And what was also good is they would have shows at the beginning of the week that weren't the big weekend shows, you mm -hmm. know, you're, you, those shows where you're coming up and starting out. So I would do piano for those. And so it was nice. I got to watch first, then kind of get my chops ready during the weekdays, and then eventually work my way up to, you know, Friday, Saturday. I was always nervous doing actual improv. I could do like the Who's Line games mm -hmm. with no problem if there was like a device attached to it, like moving bodies or a quick gag. But if I was going to tell a straight out story, it, I would freeze. Oh, I yeah. Just, I was a, a tale with a beginning, middle and end. I would it just I knew what to do. Um, but in terms of how to provide music for all of those, I had watched enough where I'm like, OK, I kind of and a lot of players who do improv musical uh, provide music for improv also work at the dueling piano bars. There's a lot of crossover with that that I didn't even realize. Um, and which I guess makes sense. It's like, if you know all these different genres of, especially with pop music going in, you can provide those into the scene work, which uh, works quite often. Uh, but yeah, I did in Orlando and in Los Angeles and a bit here in Chicago. You have kind of what I would call uh, like an, a little bit of an old school feel to your comedy and your timing and things. Um, do, who would you say would be some of your most influential comedians or do you have certain people that you really pull from that really made imprinted on you at a young age and kind of help shape your sense of humor? Oh yeah. And there's so, um, I realize more and more when I do like my own shows, like that I'm imitating someone else that I truly admire. And there's almost too many to count. Steve Martin, <laughs> Robin Williams, Tom <laughs> Lehrer, Eddie Izzard, um, Again, the, Tom Lehrer was interesting because, it, again, it was the songs that I, he, and again, he was a satirist from primarily, and still alive in his 90s now. He, I, he was primarily big in the 50s and 60s. I don't know if I'm familiar with him. Yeah, and he would be played a lot on Dr. Demento, but his history is interesting in that he was a, a, a mathematics professor primarily. He did a lot of songs for Electric Company on PBS. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. But his albums were, it wasn't like this long career. He did a few albums and did some songs just for events, for his friends, for parties, etc. And then after a couple of years, really never performed again. His songs have just kept getting played over and over and over. Oh, wow. Uh, but he abandoned like the whole thing and went, I believe he was at UC Santa Cruz teaching uh, mathematics oh, for wow. the most, most of his later life. What a swing. Uh, but the songs are brilliant, even to this day. Some, you know, again, it's 2020. Some don't translate as well as others, of course. Right. But, but the ones that... He has a song called The Masochism Tango about dancing <laughs> with your partner and hurting them. The Vatican Rag, which speaks for itself. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was no... And he, he didn't really find anything taboo. It wasn't about language. It was just about, you know, whatever the subject of the day was. A lot of political references, again, that just went over my head, but just uh genius premises genius rhymes um i'm sure he was the most influential actually mm -hmm. in terms of what i do now i think what was your first performance like how old were you when you first performed in front of people i remember in fourth grade a show where i was like it was a parody it was almost like a noises off kind of situation for kids where kids are trying to put on the show is about a production that goes awry. Mm -hmm. And I was supposed to come on and say, don't fire till you see the whites of their eyes. And that was the gag for my character. Every time somebody on stage said the word now, 
I had to come out and say that. And of course, everybody in the show would say now at the wrong time, at least five or six times. And I would come out every time and say it. Every time I said it, the, the audience uh, at the elementary school would explode with laughter. That's... So I feel as if that was one of the first times I'm like, this is interesting. Excellent. I have them exactly where I want them. <laughs> I've only said the same thing over and over and over. You were given the great gag. I mean, but those are those gags. Like, it's like, <laughs> hey, would you like to be the lead or the guy that comes in and steals the show every fucking yes. time? Like, I'm going to steal the fucking show every time. Yes. I would rather have five lines and be the memorable character than huh? be the lead. And people are like, well, that was pretty good. You know, that kind of thing. Right? And again, made fun of as a kid constantly. So when that happened, when mm -hmm. I felt like yeah, that must have a lot to do with it too. It's like this one moment where that's not happening. They're laughing with me <laughs> instead of Adam. Like, and how were how was supportive was your family in this endeavor? I know some families are like, that's fucking stupid to try to be a performer because you'll never make any money. And some people are like, crush your dreams, go for it. The weird thing is, and it was talking to my brother about this, it was because my friend invited me to Disney World and I just stayed in Florida. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if my family and I, I mean, we just never really had that talk. It was like, I would tell them like, I'm, I'm Pluto or I'm doing this. And they're like, and they were concerned of course, but they're like, well, if you're getting by on your own and you're feeding yourself and blah, 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 okay. Right. Then another small thing would build. And then I, I was acting at, they did street Mysphere at what's now called Hollywood studios. It was called Disney MGM. Oh yeah. And hopefully those those actors will come. I know because everything that's going on, they don't have that anymore. But mm. but I would do that, and maybe and for the most part, my parents, yeah, my parents were very supportive. It's just I was so far away mm -hmm. that they would hear my reports over the phone and be like, okay, you know. Eventually, occasionally, I would get a commercial or I get a small thing on a TV show, and I, God love my folks, they'd be like, after they'd see it, they're like, great, you should do more of that. Like, <laughs> yeah, no shit. Yes, I should. No shit. I've been trying uh, every day since then. You know what? That's great advice, mom. Thanks. So you, uh, when it comes down to performing, do you lean more towards, because I know you also do, you've done some musicals and some uh, just regular plays as do you prefer to be just an actor or do you prefer being behind the piano doing your music and your comedy? Or is it kind of a, like a nice break from your comedy to like go do something different and just be, you know, a hired gun, as I like to call them, and not have to worry about doing and making sure you've got your marketing and all that kind of stuff going for yourself. Yeah, I, a somewhat fortunate situation in that you can do virtual piano shows like I've been doing. Mm -hmm. Which I want to so, talk about in a minute for sure. Yeah, so because of that, I mean, I've been leaning toward that. I mean, if, but before, you know, pre-COVID, I was still doing that anyhow, but I, it would be a nice balance. It would be, you know, I work at the dueling piano bars, sometimes take a break, do a, a, a theater production if, if, if one were to cast me and then, <laughs> but do my songs in between. And that was what's great about Paper Machete is that Chris and everyone involved there, they were beyond supportive and would like, you know, if there was an idea during the week, just flesh something out and do it. So every week I could, uh, not every week, but every so often just brush up on those skills and and it's very strange because you're talking about like not you know providing music for improv like 
it's very strange. Like when I do songs there and it's like a one-off or it's about the news of the week and it might not be done again. This, the song itself is so secondary. Like I'll only work on the words and sometimes mm-hmm. I'll just come in and not know what the tune is and then just come up with something because oh, so that sounds terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it's this second nature thing where it's like, Oh, I'll just do a one, four, five, you know, just do a whatever, you know, just play whatever chords. Cause you know, for some songs, if it's going to be something on an album, you want to get a certain mood and a certain style of music, and, and then you work on that. But but what's great about a weekly show like The Machete is you can always come in with something. And and, and it is terrifying, yeah, because you don't know. in your Every every time with Paper Machete, I'll have, and maybe you have this too, it's like in your mind, like, this is brilliant, and it doesn't work. Or yes. like, oh, I just wrote this an hour before the show. I don't like it. And it goes over. I'm like, what do I know? Right. Those those things are so frustrating because you can roll out and like this is the one. This is this is gonna nail it. This is the one that's gonna take me places. And people are like, Yeah, that's garbage. And you're like, Fuck. Yeah. And yeah. then you drop something by mistake and they're like, You're a comedic genius. Yeah. You're like, God damn it. Right. So hard. So right. hard. What the fuck? And I guess it makes sense because it's like if you really go over it over and over and over, it's like this has to go well. Whereas an hour or two, like, well, whatever happens, happens. So you're not as stressed. That right. happens. It's, yeah, it's that it's that it's so frustrating. Like when you're in a, like a, if you're rehearsing a show and then you hit a moment and it's so just like everybody in the room is like, Oh fuck, that's it. Do that every time. You're like, well, uh-huh. it's not going to be that every time anymore that's because right. that was technically it. Everything else now is just a, a cheap imitation and exactly try to yep. elicit something from you, but it's over. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you've got, you said you've got, you put out your first album. You said, what was the family album? Yeah, I've released two albums, one in 2000 and then 16 years later, my my Green Mill album. And that's, uh, I came to that recording that day and I had so much fun, oh so much fun. Every song crushes, uh, you have 45 is still one of my favorite songs that you do, especially <laughs> since I just turned 45 this year. I actually been, have been waiting. That's right. I played it on my birthday because I was like, <laughs> I've been waiting to do this because now I can 100% agree with all the things <laughs> in this song. Um, when you're putting together an album, is it a situation where you're just, are you writing for an album or are you just finding the stuff that you've already done you're like oh i've got enough to curate an album or are you how meticulous you are you putting your albums together i think it's more of the latter i'm i'm certain that 90 percent of that was just because of chris pyatt and the machete it's mm-hmm. like an occasional song that either i would write or might have been prompted by something that happened that week or whatever something worked and then i would get a chance to do it again as a secondary song because they'll let you do two songs there sometimes and I'll try it again and, and, you know, be able to hone it. And eventually, yeah, it was like, I have enough for an album again. And Dave Gemmelow, who runs the Green Mill and everyone there couldn't have been more supportive. They're like, yes, record it here. Oh, and they I know so nothing much. about recording. I lucked out. I asked friends of friends like you do. And I got the best uh, mixer. I got the best uh, guy to record it, the best guy to film it. I mean, and... I'm still in awe that it turned out as good as it did. And basically on a live album, I mean, I think there was just one take and then we did two more. T- and then we had a second take of just some where I maybe have flubbed up. I, I here think here. you, I think you redid maybe tops three songs. Top. Yeah. Yeah. But everything went straight through and crushed. And I'll listen to that album over and over and over again. I have it on my 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 playlist. Yeah. And it's just, it's funny every time. Like I catch myself 
I'm that crazy person on the train or the bus who's chuckling to himself or laughing or <laughs> making the faces because I'm listening to yours. And if there's, it's great because it's one of those things where I like to, I'll go away from it for a while and then come back and it'll hit me like it was new again. And it, yeah, sure. I, I, I appreciate good comedy. I, I think for me, good comedy is, does that to me that's how i know it's it's good in my opinion right. it's like a, it can hit me it can make me laugh and it can make me out outwardly laugh over and over and over again i hear it as if it's new again you know and i think to me that's when i'm like that's something i really love and that's something i think you, your music does for me because i also do appreciate that your style of comedy with sitting behind the piano it's very um uh, body vaudevillian, you know, which is just a lot of fun and it's loose and it's goose. And it, that's something I really love. We talked about how the moon for so long and it, it, it's silly not to ask, like, how does your brain hold so many songs in your brain? Because I mean, basically it's people who are like, play this and you play uh, that, right? And, and, and you have two people playing against, the, is it against each other? Are you playing together? Or one takes one song, one takes the other? How does your brain not explode? Things like that. It's so weird to call it dueling because maybe in the original, you know, in the 90s when I think dueling pianos really first began, maybe, you know, you play the theme to deliverance and it really would be a duel where somebody would do and then the other person would try to up them by playing it a right. lot more ornate in a bigger production. And they would go, and I've seen productions, uh, dueling shows where they really would one up each other for like 10 minutes. I'm like, oh, wow. this is very entertaining. I, <laughs> I, I'm not, you know, what, what's interesting now is like, I basically now it's not as much dueling. It's like one person will play a song. The other will back them up with the piano, but also vocally give harmonies and then we'll trade off and we'll go back and forth. Mm -hmm. And what I love about dueling pianos is that I get to throw the comedy into it. Like in between, there was a time you would like people, you know, players would change up the lyrics and for certain songs, which is fine too, but I think there was too much of that at the beginning. Now there's a nice mix of like, it depends on where you go. Some are like all about bringing the audience up and singing songs to them mixed in with the sweet Caroline and the brown eyed girl. And what right. I mean, the dirty secret is half the show is the same songs, those songs over and over and over. Is there a song that you're just because of this job? Cause you, you said you did this for what? How long, how long did you work at? Uh, First time I did was 98. So 22 years? 22 years. So after 22 years, is there one song that you would rather smash your your dick with a <laughs> hammer rather than play again? Like I don't I don't mind songs where you can play around with a little bit. Like Sweet Caroline never bores me because everybody wants to hear it. Okay. Uh many have come just for that. <laughs> Wow. Okay. You know that they're excited, but the fact that you can throw things in, I the only songs I don't like were, are the ones where it's a race to the end, where you're just doing, like, Jesse's Girl is fine, mm -hmm. but you're basically just doing Jesse's Girl. You're not, you, you could, if you can't, any song where it's a song that you do over and over, but you can't find a way to play with it, improvise a little bit with it. Right. Again, if it's just song to the end. Uh, if it's cool, I'll tell you my my favorite compliment I've ever received. Oh, please. Uh, at a dueling piano bar. No, it's not cool. Do not tell me. Because <laughs> uh, it, it's one of my few favorite stories. I'm not much of a storyteller, but it's one I love to tell. Um, when I first started at the Howl at the Moon in, in uh, Chicago, I think this was around 2004. Sometimes I would do 
like with my second album, like I would do songs that were very personal. Like I started coming out in some of my comedy songs. Okay. And I didn't do that the first album. I didn't do, you know, first few years, I'm like, nope, this is all just silly, you know, PG rated. You know, it wasn't until the later years, I'm like, all right, I'm going to sing more about me. And I did an hour long set where we just did, we did our regular show. I tried to get the audience to laugh in whatever way I could. Everybody's on board. And then towards the end of the set, I do a song that I wrote about being gay. Now, again, Midwest, we're in the Midwest. Right. But I did, uh, and I can't remember the words, but it was to the tune of I'm a woman, because I'm a woman. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it was, I'm a gay man. I'm a gay man. And I don't even remember all the words, but it was something like, I could tell you the name of every actress who's ever played Auntie Mame. I'll watch football with the guys, but I'm not watching for the game, because I'm a gay man, et cetera. So it was hilarious lyrics like that. Um, I get off stage and, uh, uh, a gentleman who I can only refer to as like a good boy, a good old boy, mm-hmm. uh, Southern accent, older guy, Southern, ac- deep Southern accent comes over to me, shakes my hand and says, you know what? You're a faggot, but you're all right. <laughs> God bless it. Mwah. Oh, that's perfect. And I was talking to my friend the other day. It's like, you can't change, especially now. You can't change anyone anyone's mind really about anything. It's all an internal, personal process. But if you could chip away this much, just a little bit, the eggshell's just like that. The, you're a faggot, but you're all right. Mm-hmm. Just like, just that little. That is hands down the best compliment I've ever received in my life. Um, I, I, I hope you don't mind me bringing this up because uh, I, because we recently lost him. Uh, but I know you were friends with. Uh, the genius who was Fred Willard. Yeah. Um, and you, from what I understood, you were a regular at his Christmas parties. Is this correct? Can you tell me a bit about that? Cause I mean, it, it seems very like the way you've described it to me, it seems very old school Hollywood where you're, where he has a huge party and has a performer come in and play music and perform. Cause that, that doesn't happen that much these days anymore. No. And I just, I just want to know more about what that experience is like. Um, we performed in 1997, 1998 at the Acme Theater. We got mm-hmm. a good slot Fridays uh, late night to just do our improv. Uh, no, excuse me. We had an early slot. And then afterwards, it was just open improv jam. And the host of it was Fred Willard. Um, and so it was improvisers from all over the city would come and just do games, but Fred would run the proceedings. Sometimes he would be in the game, sometimes he would just host. Okay. And our paths would cross so much that, you know, and our troupe got to perform so often with them that we just got to know Fred. And it was Fred's, uh, and uh, sadly his wife has passed on too, but his Mm -hmm. wife, Mary, was the one who approached me and said, we have a holiday party every year and we need a piano player. And of course my mouth said yes. And in my head, I'm like, no, I'm going to ruin everything. (laughs) What did I just agree to? I'm going to make a fool of myself. After um, Fred passed, Chris Pyatt had me do a special piece for the machete about it. And it was second city alumni. It was, it was anybody Fred worked with during the year. Mm -hmm. So it was everybody. Mm. Um. comedy legends from my childhood and now filling the, their house. 
And we would just sing carols, and but we would do little playlets. Joanne Worley would come into the room and sing a, a parody song that she had written. Um, we would do the 12 Days of Christmas, but in a very silly way. Wow. Some of them were staples. Every year we had to do these set things, and it was a tradition that... And I and again, I moved here in 2002, and uh-huh. every year the Willards flew me out. Wow. Too long out of their own graciousness, flew me out to LA and I played for them for another 15 years after that. Wow. And I was amazed every year I was there. I had to pinch myself every year that this was happening. And you, I'm, I'm assuming you got to know everybody who would come every year. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm sure is just mind boggling. I met, and that's how I met weird. I met weird Al. I met Bud Friedman. I met Joanne. I mean, uh, Richard Sherman, who wrote Mary Poppins, would come in and do, and he he would play songs from Mary Poppins, and and Charles Fox, who wrote all those TV themes from the seventies and eighties, came, and they would tap me out, and they would come to the piano, and oh, they would, wow. do, and he'd play the theme to Laverne and Shirley, and I'd get up and get back. I'm like, this is my life. Oh come on now, that's ridiculous. And Seventeen, eighteen years, uh, that was my holiday, uh, and they they supported me. With the exception of, of of my family, they they supported me more than anyone. That's they, amazing. They promoted me. They promoted my songs. They they would come out here when they would come out here. If Fred was being honored by Second City, which was often, mm-hmm. they would come see me in a production or or see me do something. They always they always came out, uh, and we would hang hang out, have lunch, whatever. And the absolute sweetest people. And um, I'm glad to hear that because he seemed like the type of person. And I, I was like, I was talking to somebody the other day. It's just really nice to hear that. It's nice to hear people that you respect in the entertainment industry are as nice as they, as, as they seem to be. It really sucks when you see like, I really think that person's a good person. And you see about them and hear about them. And you're like, Oh, you're trash. You're, you're dog shit trash. Oh fuck. So it's, Anytime you've spoken about him, it was really great to hear that that's who he was. What you saw was what you got. Yeah. It is just, that's so great. When So would you put together your own sets for those kind of parties or was it strictly like holiday stuff or were you, were you able to pop in some of your own songs? And and if so, like, was there one in particular, like those people, those, those Hollywood elites, like were like, that's, that's a great song. Like, they, was there one? They were open to it. The wild thing was, and again, it was, and Mary was like, you know, Mary was very, could be very strict and like whatever Mary said went, whatever, it was her party. Mm-hmm. She organized it to the letter and like whatever she told me to do, I did. And for the, I almost every year she had me do three songs from my family album, the grandpa, you're my twin and I'm just your mom. Okay. Yeah. that one, And even when I would write something, she'd let me do it. Like maybe one or two, like something I wanted to do, but mm-hmm. she wouldn't let the party go unless I did those three. And I did those three songs Every party, oh, that's crazy. I never touch. We would all make the grandpa sound during certain years because everybody just knew it. I'm like, how did this become like a, a holiday favorite? Right. Yeah. And how, I mean, like what? I can only <laughs> imagine what your insides felt like. It's jumping up at every time that every all year. of these comedy legends sang your song with you. Every year. Fred I'm like, home. This shouldn't be happening. <laughs> oh, man, that's. Yeah. That is. I, I, I hope you like chronicled those 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 years down somewhere so we can have those or people, your family, everybody can have those to be able to look back on because that's such 
such a unique experience to be able to have, especially with those people and that man, because he's such a legend, you know, he's a comedy legend. Uh, and uh, that's just a, such a great experience. When you first wow. told me that I was floored, I was floored. And because I think, I think it was one of those things like, hey, what do you do? And it's like, oh, I'm going to be out of town for a couple of weeks. Oh, what do you got going on? You got a job? It's like, oh, I'm going to see some friends and I've got to go play this. Christmas party, Fred Willard's house. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Come on now. Come yeah. On. That's, that's, uh, that's amazing. I just, yeah, I just like, I love to hear a little bit more about that. So thank you for indulging me on that. Yeah, but sure. uh, I want to move on now to present day because we are in COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are uh, not doing shit because uh, our government is garbage and <laughs> didn't do what they should have done. And I should be hanging out with my friends and hugging people. Mm-hmm. Um, but um like like you, many artists are out of out, out of work, and but you have been fucking hustling. Uh, you are rocking. Was it daily now? Live, online performances. A few. So I, um, a lot of my piano player friends have really, and again, that, I guess that's one of the I know silver linings is thrown out a lot, but it is. It's like the weird silver lining of everything where we can perform on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, whatever platform, mm-hmm. take tips from people, you know, just do a piano show from home. And I've done, I do maybe three a week. Okay. Um, there were, I just finished a show that was a zoom musical. Oh, wow. And it, it was, uh, and it was actually very, it was brilliant. It was called objectivity and it was a parody of the old uh, tidying up with Marie Kondo kind of decluttering seminars yeah, okay. kind of thing. Um, and I got to play a guy who just interrupted with music. And so I'm like, oh, it's up my alley. Um, <laughs> well trained. Yeah. So we did that. <laughs> we opened in September and got extended till we just finished. But there's been little projects like that. And I'm sure it's the same for, and I see them from all the, the actors here in Chicago to the pianists I know across the country. They're, mm-hmm. they're finding their the projects that are providing them joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, providing money is a whole other conversation, but right. I mean, doing what, what is, you know, uh, gets, get, gets them through this crazy time. Um, right now, because of the holidays, uh, there's a few, you know, I'm, I'm writing songs for people who want to think for their holiday, doing a few holiday parties. I haven't really written songs like, uh, like I would for the machete. Like I wrote a few at the beginning of. Okay. Um, so what are your uh, online shows? Because I know you have a yacht rock uh, yeah. show that you do. Um, so are, are they all themed like that? And, and and is there always a set playlist that you're? Is it? How does it change every time? Like what what do you throw in for your show? Like give us a typical rundown of like what do you why why would? Okay, let's do it like this. Why would somebody want to catch one of your shows live on Facebook and Twitch? <laughs> well. Gosh, why would somebody? Um, <laughs> actually, when we started, it was like Yacht Rock, 80s. I still do those. And that's, again, another great thing is that I could cater the show however I want. It can be any theme. I can do it whenever I want. My main show now is something called Parody Song Improv, which I started in June. Mm-hmm. And it actually, what's great is it combines improv that I, like I used to do years ago with kind of like Howl at the Moon. I'll get a pop song from somebody. Somebody in the chat section or that same person will change the title a little bit so it sounds like a parody title. 
like instead of like a virgin, like a surgeon, like mm-hmm. what Weird Al did. But some, somebody in the chat room will do that. They'll, 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 they'll change the title and I'll improvise the song. And I was very, and that's the show. And I was very nervous to do it at first because I hadn't improvised in a long time. Uh-huh. But I just did it every week and it eventually, you know, got a little bit better, a little better. And now it's become my show that I do. Um, I do it Saturdays on Facebook. I'm going to do it this Thursday on Twitch. Right now, because of these platforms, a lot of them are changing. So the platforms I do them on might start changing. But right. I usually do it at least once or twice a week and it's become my my main show I do. While we're talking about it, where can people find you? Like, what's where's your social media? Like, are you on Twitter? And give give us the rundown of where people can find Bill Larkin. I'd also like you to please give me the rundown of where people can find and purchase your albums as well, because they should. Oh my god! Well, my Facebook and my Twitch channel are both the same name, Bill Larkin Music. So those are easy to find. Facebook is where you can find whatever my schedule will be for the week. Uh, my Instagram honestly should be called that just for continuity reasons, but it's called the Bill Larkin just because Bill Larkin was taken and I couldn't think of anything at the time. That's and, um, who is that son of a, my boy? album, who is that other Bill Larkin? Same with YouTube. There's another, uh, I couldn't take Bill Larkin music because there's another Bill Larkin who's a musician, the bastard. He was probably terrible um, too. Oh, I bet he's awful. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? <sighs> um, Probably bagpipes and shit. Ugh. So the the um, my album, and actually I have a box of, and I'm pointing to it right now, 500 CDs over there. Uh, if any of nice you Christmas just gifts. want to come by and pick up the box. <laughs> because CDs. But Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, all the other places you can hear it. And the album, uh, my last album from 2016, Live Green Mill one, is called uh, Knowing Your Audience. And that is such such a good album. I recommend everybody please tune in to go see Bill and follow him so you can know when his shows are on. And please buy his album because they are fucking so good. I I recommend it. Don't you dare beg. Don't you dare beg. People will buy your albums. Too late. If you burn it, they will come. And you've burned 500 CDs. (laughs) Um, a bill Honestly, just, we, come pick it up. just come pick it up. Just come, it's fine. Just fine. I'll, I'll leave it on the curb. It, it you know, six feet. I'll put mask on each <laughs> one. It'll be great. Um, <laughs> Bill, we are at uh, that time of the show uh, that I now have called. Well, I now have called. I've been calling it since the first episode. I keep saying this as if this is a brand new thing, but you're f- episode five, and I've been I've done this five times, so it's not new. So, but it's called same three <laughs> questions. And these are the same three okay. questions I ask all of my guests uh, in right. every in every episode because it helps. It's just fun for me. So, question number one: All right, Bill, if you had a superpower, which superpower would that be? I've never been asked that. See, and everybody except one person had to think about it. And I was surprised about that because this is something I've thought about before a whole bunch. Yeah. I can tell you mine right now. Uh, but everybody has to think about it except for uh, J- Jim O'Hare was like flying. And I was like, oh, that was, I wasn't prepared for that to be that fast. Okay, great. Moving on. <laughs> now that I hear it, that's a good answer. Superpower. So you're going to steal, you're going to just. I want to steal it, but I know that's not the answer. It would have to do with something like, with just about like 
willpower, not being afraid, like, you know, just being like, fuck it, I'm going to do this, 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 anything, you know, being so fearless. You're, anything you're super, so related your, super, to fearless. your superpower would be fearlessness. Got fearlessness. All right. Great. I love that. Confident. Everybody needs a, a superpower of confidence. Second. Second. Flying. Okay, great. Flying confidently. How about that? <laughs> yes. Great. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, question two. Uh, if after you died, you were reincarnated as a sandwich, which sandwich would that be? Which Meatball sandwich sub. is Bill Larkin? Meatball sub from Pop Belly, which sounds kind of, um, you know, big chain. You're like, eh, but it's really good. I fucking love pot bellies. I'm the I'm a big fan of their chicken salad sandwich. Uh, Those are good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, real good. But okay, so you would be the pot. That was quick. Meatballs. <laughs> that one I didn't. That was faster. Than, <laughs> either you have really thought about that before, or you're just hungry. I don't know, but either way, I fucking love it. And also, they make good meatball subs. I mean, if you needed something on the go, it's. I mean, if you were like pot bellies or subway meatballs, I'm like, well, pot bellies, of course. Superpower, no idea. Sandwich. Done <laughs> with a side of chips <laughs> and a large sweet tea, please. Uh, and uh, last question Hey, Bill Larkin, blue or green? Mm -hmm. I look better in blue. Ooh, I'm so sorry. The answer was green. The answer was green. I, I was gonna say, though. comma, but but <laughs> I like green is actually my favorite color, but I look better in blue, so oh, I guess really okay. Happy. Mm -hmm. Just give me a color. That's not <laughs> um, Bill. Thank you so much. Um, I, I really do appreciate you sitting down with me, and it's been it really great to see you get the chat because oh, it's been God. a while, and I just fucking love hanging out with you. And uh, I'm so glad that you're doing well. I'm so glad that you're still able to hustle and get some work done and and, and perform because I know how I, I it's needed in the world these days. And you are so talented and so funny, and I'm just so glad that you're able to still be able to put that out there because. Uh, people, I think, should tune in and see your shows and just laugh because that's what's going to happen. And I think we all need a good laugh in these days. And you're you're great to provide it. So, um, thank you for doing that. And uh, thanks for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. And I love that you have this podcast. And my love to you and Kim. And be safe. And thank you. Oh my, I love Bill Larkin so much. That man is a fucking delight. So please make sure that you are following him on all of his social media. Please make sure that you are checking out all of his online shows. You can find him on Facebook and Twitch at Bill Larkin Music. You can find him on Instagram at the Bill Larkin, and you can also find him on YouTube at Bill Larkin. No matter how many ways you say it, it'll always lead back to Bill Larkin. Also, he's doing personalized songs for your friends and family. So if you're looking for the perfect holiday gift, something a little outside of the box, something that's a little personalized, something they might love a little more than just a pair of socks, contact Bill and he can write you a song for your friends and family. You can find out more about that on his Facebook page. So please go find him there. Well, that about does it for this episode. Thank you so much, as always, to my dear friend, Mr. Jason Moody, for this kick-ass theme song. And please go check out Tailored and Crafted. Get some sweets, get some cookies, get some cakes, put them in your face, enjoy your holidays. Uh, stick around right after this. We're going to play out the rest of this episode with the musical stylings of Mr. Bill Larkin. But be sure to join us next time when we have a new guest on and we ask them that aged old question. Who the fuck are you?
How about it? The Green Milk presents the great Bill Larkin. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Thank you very much. It hurts when I stand. I can't see past my own hand. The hair has left my head and has moved to my back instead. I love being 45. I'm closer to death now than birth. I've been reading books on gardening and self-worth. My clothes no longer fit and I always have to shit. I love being 45. I take medications to excess and when the TV's on, I find I'm enjoying CBS. I got laid zero times when I was younger, I confess. But now, take that number and somehow make it less. I think there's something in my stool. And when I wake each morning, I drown in my own drool. I ask my doctor, how could this be happening to me now? He said, well, Mr. Larkin, I'm afraid that you're 45! My body used to be spelt. But now I've had to drill some extra holes into my belt. I cannot see my nuts. My penis hates my guts. I can I get 45! <laughs> These aren't problems you can just ignore, especially because they weren't even problems when I was 44. And now my memory's fading. And what's more, I can't even remember if I've said something before. I think there's something in my stool. And I'm finding the music of Pat Boone kind of cool. And now I'm extra tense because Fox News is making sense. Please fucking kill me. I'm 45. There's no such thing as love. And there is no God above. How do I know? I'm 45. <laughs> but when you get this far, you find out just who you are. You have some money to spend. You love to nap. You love your friends. And, and you don't have to see a shrink. You're caring less what others think. I love being 45. I just crapped myself. I love being 45. Blah, blah, blah. Big talk.